This is John Halsman, jet-lagged but unbowed, and back at my desk here in Milan, and welcome to the latest Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. I did one of my deep dives that I love doing when I'm trying to understand something, or somewhere, more importantly, and in this case, I spent a week in Washington seeing old friends and returning to my old stomping grounds, and I had 16 meetings in the course of five days counting travel, so it's an intense immersion and it gives you this beautiful impressionistic snapshot of a place and time when you can really dig down and talk to people at length. And I mean, each of these 16 meetings went on average two hours and some a good deal longer. And this was a particularly interesting time because it was by far the most successful series of meetings I've ever had in the 16 years I've been running the firm. And so I wanted to share it with our audience as soon as I could. So I literally got home yesterday uh, was very happy to see Sarah and the cats, fell asleep almost immediately, woke up this morning refreshed, and immediately have hit the ground running with us around the world in 20 minutes. And for those of you who have admitted, and Terry, this is you, admitted that you like some of the more freeform jazz components. I mean, that's what I wanted this one to be, which is just an impressionistic account of my deep dive and my snapshot, because things are really changing in a fundamental way. And a couple external factors happened to coincide with my with my meetings and I think made them far better. The first thing that happened was that the third national conservative conference got together. And this national conservative movement, in essence, is, it holds the views I've been holding for the last 16 years. And it's a way to really link together the Jeffersonian libertarian, libertarian wing of the Republican Party. Think Cato, Think the free market types who do tend to run things, think people who tend to be non-interventionist with the Trump populist wing, think the Heritage Foundation and people who are hawkish but want to have realism and restraint in their policy. And these two groups have been edging toward one another in some sort of alliance, which is wonderful. One of the keynotes they had uh, is a man named Elbridge Colby, of whom we will talk more later. He is a natural leader of the party. He's for pivoting, for instance, to the Indo-Pacific, which, like me, Upbridge sees as the kind of future of reward and risk in the world, but also doing so in a balanced way and not intervening promiscuously around the world to focus on the big stuff that matters, like China. And this is, of course, something I've been saying for 16 years. But there is real movement between this kind of Jeffersonian 15% or so of the party and the Jacksonian Trumpites composing, you know, between the two of them over 50% because the populist Trumpites are probably a plurality in the party. And then if you tack on the Jeffersonians, it's a majority. And this is a group that logically is balanced around realism. It's a thing they have in common. These two groups are not the same. Jeffersonians would like the First Amendment. Jacksonians like the Second Amendment. Uh, most above all, uh, Jeffersonians like Johnny Cash. Jacksonians are Johnny Cash. So there's a big difference. But the thing that unites them is a realist view that everything must be predicated on American national interests, specifically American national interests and the good of the American people. This is greatly threatening to the foreign policy blob, which cares an awful lot about the rest of the world and not nearly enough about the people of the United States who actually pay for America's foreign policy. And you've seen this at my blob meetings at Council on Foreign Relations over and over again. So again, this is certainly the politics and the policy 
are, are drifting in my direction for the first time in, I'd say, around 16 years. And this was a welcome point. And seeing someone with the stature of Bridge Colby addressing this group, I think, is a wonderful fusion of where this movement can go and, and more power to both of them. And this occurred just before I got to D.C. And this was the big talk of many of the meetings. The second talk is that both sides, to reach this kind of fusion, are having to give something up. If realism binds them in any alliance, you have to give something up. And the, the old libertarian uh, folks, Jeffersonians, are having to say, look, we have to be internationalist. We have to accept that we have to be engaged in the world. We have to say there are times and areas of the world like the Indo-Pacific that are primary American interests and are worth fighting for that this certainly has to be part of things. And, and this is a major concession on their part. From the Jacksonian or interventionist hawk wing of the party, you have to say, well, yeah, but we have to make choices using realism to look at first order principles, secondary interests, and then tertiary interests. And this is a major concession from their being part of the blob and promiscuously intervening everywhere willy-nilly. And this new alliance Founded on realism is very much where I am and very much where the action is heading to my delight after many years in exile since my stand on Iraq. And you see this happening in meeting after meeting after meeting. I really focused in these 16 meetings on meeting particularly with Republicans. I mean, Democrats are on their Wilsonian road. They're part of the blob. They're managerial. I mean, it's in Henry Kissinger, Kissinger's new book, I think his most interesting line in what is an up and down book, his most interesting point is that so many of the foreign policy elite are technocrats or managers of the established blob of intervening everywhere, of seeing Washington in a unipolar role where the United States can do whatever it wants in the world and the world pretty much has to react and that this is fundamentally wrong. And I think that's a great insight from a man who's 99 years old, I believe. I mean, incredible. And he's exactly right. And that's where the Democrats and the Wilsonians are. Intervene everywhere. We know better. A managerial, technocratic class running everything. And we're going to change things only at the edges. Keep the guardrails up and keep doing what we did during the American Cold War when the United States had far more dominance than it does now. And so they're wrongheadedly in a Wilsonian way going ahead. For instance, over Ukraine as an issue, Biden will continue writing checks, blank checks, to the Ukrainians, despite it being one of the most corrupt places on earth and without the United States listing its war aims. And I don't fault President Zelensky for taking advantage of that. He's a realist, too. He has national interests, too. It's just that they don't coincide with America's. No two countries' interests coincide perfectly. They just don't. And so as a, as a result of that, you see what's going on here. And... This is a danger. Biden isn't putting down any war aims. We're writing blank checks to the Ukrainians when the United States needs the money, has terrible opioid crisis, has problems at the border, has an educational system falling apart. Anybody who's driven on America's roads knows they need fixing. And Ukraine is a second order priority. It's not tertiary, but it's not primary. And this new alliance sees that. People who believe this would say, many of them, at, at the beginning, we should have funded Ukraine to fight off the Russian onslaught, as they so heroically did, at the gates of Kiev. But this isn't an ongoing blank check paying for the Ukrainians to further their national interests without ever articulating our own. And Biden has been woefully deficient in articulating what America's national interests actually are. Rather, he said, we're going to leave the driving to Zelensky while we do all the pay paying. And from a realist and restrained point of view, this new alliance in the Republican Party this is utter madness. 
It's our money. We get to control what happens with it. And I just hand it over to Zelensky because we prefer him to Vladimir Putin. Here's a big point. So do I. But I'm an American patriot. I'm an American nationalist following American national interests. And if I don't articulate what they are, it's, I don't blame Zelensky for taking the money and running. I blame us for saying there are limits to what you can do with the money. And this is what they are. Here's what we see as an end state of the Ukraine war. Rather than doing that, he is instead just saying, go on, God bless you, and here's the money. That is derelict in one's duty, and that's exactly what the Wilsonians are. They are on autopilot for what to do moving ahead, and this is a major problem. Pardon the cat making the noise in the background, by the way. That's Winston, who's discovered part of the uh, window that he's very excited with, but I'm going to keep going. You get this warts and all. So, down Winston. Yes, he's named after Winston Churchill, one of my cats. Uh, the other two cubs are George Washington and Nelson Mandela. Moving ahead, I would say it's very important to see that beyond what's happening, that realism and restraint is saying, yes, we would initially give the money to Ukraine, but we would lay out specific articulated limits to what they can do to it because we have a limited interest in what happens in Ukraine, which is a secondary interest. We can't care more about European security than the Europeans do, and yet we're giving the Ukrainians 70% of all their military funding, more than the rest of the world put together. I can't care more about Europe than Europe does. It's up to the Europeans to decide if they want to pay for this or not moving ahead. It's certainly up to the Americans to decide what our war aims are and that they be furthered with the money we're giving, which is literally propping up the regime in Kiev, which needs on the neighborhood of $9 billion a month just to survive and is running up the tab with us without us holding them to account, either where the money goes or what American interests are. And people in realism and restraint, both Jeffersonians and Jacksonians, can get around this key point, meaning that they say the Jeffersonians say, yes, we think we're willing to make a concession and say some of the Ukrainians needed money to fight off the Russians initially, but that's it. And we have the Jacksonians saying, that's fine, and we, we are in favor of that, but Ukraine is only a secondary interest, and we can't spend tens of billions of dollars on every secondary interest while the name of the game, the Indo-Pacific, goes neglected. And let me tell you, from being in Washington, one of the things I'm sure of is they can't walk and chew gum at the same time any more than we could when I was there, meaning this notion that we can focus on more than about two or three things at once in an administration is just absolutely a pipe dream. And in foreign policy, you focus, first of all, on the great issues at hand, the great powers. But that is secondary to being elected, which is always the number one concern of everyone in D.C., secondarily and correctly domestic issues, third great power issues, and then only fourth would come a lowly Ukraine. So you don't give the fourth most important issue tens of billions of dollars without strict limits on what they can do and what you gain from this. This is about American national interests. And if, if the NATCON, the National Conservative Conference, was the beginning of my week, during my week, another very interesting and important thing happened. The Heritage Foundation made it clear, and this is where I used to work, it's the largest think tank in the world, and still the most important conservative think tank in the United States. And while I was there, I have tons of friends from being there. It was the best place I worked in other than my own firm. I, I, it made my name. I have nothing but good, despite Iraq, I have nothing but good feelings for the time and the exposure they gave me. And it's the only corporate institution I've ever worked in that actually worked generally. 
And so I am thrilled that Heritage is coming to its senses, is abandoning its promiscuous support from promiscuous interventions willy-nilly, the days of favoring everything going on and staying in Afghanistan forever, despite it being a laughably tertiary presence once we knocked out al-Qaeda and neutered the Taliban 20 years ago. We then decided to nation build the place, which was lunacy. Heritage support that, and now no longer it's reneging on that kind of support. And the catastrophe in Iraq, which led me to leave it, it's now reneging on that, coming back to its senses and saying things to the point of, we are for restraint. The new leadership in Heritage should be strongly encouraged by becoming more and more Trumpist, more and more Jacksonian, more and more about realism and restraint. This is wonderful and makes this alliance a force to be reckoned with. I'm thrilled that while I was there, the new president of Heritage made it clear we are part of the realism and restraint movement. And this is wonderful. The only way alliances win, and I say this to people who say I should be screaming, I told you so. I don't feel that at all. I feel like de Gaulle coming home to France after a very long time. I think this is wonderful. The only way you win is by addition, not by subtraction. Ronald Reagan had this exactly right. Alliances win by adding members and not screaming, I told you so. The people who got this colossally wrong will meet their own comeuppance because of being wrong. I do believe that ultimately. Look, it's taken 16 years for the wheel, the karmic wheel to spin and me to be on top again. And I plan to be magnanimous both because it's ethically the right thing to do, but frankly, because it's practically the right thing to do. And doing so frees us up to have a movement that forms a majority of the Republican Party. And if you change the Republican Party toward realism and restraint, you change the United States. And if you change the United States, you change the world. Full stop. Let me say that again, because that is the mantra of my firm moving forward. If we change the Republican Party, we change the United States. And if we change the United States, we change the world. And so this was a sea change of monumental importance. The new leadership and heritage saying, we are now and have been part of the movement of realism and restraint, turning its back on being the junior member in the foreign policy blob run primarily by Wilsonians, but also with a large neoconservative grouping that Heritage had internally. That's now gone, and realism and restraint is the order of the day. This is a wonderful step forward in this new Jeffersonian, Jacksonian alliance that I think is going to come to dominate the Republican Party, and I, based on its realist ties in common. And I will do everything in my power to make this alliance dominant and to work toward this as alliance's victory, first within the Republican Party and then the Republican victory over the Democrats moving ahead. This is absolutely wonderful. And so from these 16 meetings, these two events were fundamental. And along with this, I renewed my ties with a group that I've, I've large, largely wanted to work with for a long time and am delighted. The third thing that happened was the Stand Together movement by, by the Koch brothers. The Stand Together movement, which is one of the largest funders of conservative causes, has been a libertarian movement and is getting out there in a wonderful way to now begin to see this link between realism and restraint, the Jeffersonians and the Jacksonians, and help fund and coordinate this movement moving forward throughout the United States to dominate the party on good Jeffersonian principles. And of course, cards on the table. Those of you who follow me, I am a Jeffersonian, long have been. I love the Jacksonians. I am absolutely convinced we can work with them, but I come from the stand together viewpoint and long have. I'm one of the few guys, and make it institutional in Washington, 
who, who could go to both Cato and Heritage and be taken seriously by both. I mean, one of my unique roles in this is that all the groups, Defense Priorities, one of the up-and-coming groups in Washington, on the right, Heritage, where many of my friends have now been promoted two or three times since I've been gone so long, and it was lovely to see all of you, by the way. And then Cato, uh, and saw my friends there. I saw all these groups, members of all these groupings that I've known for 20 years now, all older, all promoted, hopefully wiser and wonderful to catch up with them. But I've managed to keep my finger in the pie of all these groups. And so them rising together, I find thrilling and vindication of 16 years worth of grassroots work on my part. But I am firmly now working hand in glove with the Stand, Stand Together movement. And I think this is, this is wonderful. I'm thrilled. I've long wanted to work with them and I'm thrilled to be doing so. And that leads me to my last point about this. If realism and restraint are blessedly taking over the Republican Party. If together the Jeffersonians and the Jacksonians, now that the neocons, best thing that Trump did, or one of them certainly was booting the neocons out of the party, if realism and restraint are now dominating the Republican Party discourse, will be staffing any future Republican administration, uh, and that this is a wonderful thing. Uh, the last piece from really talking is these 16 meetings I had with various conservative groups, and this culminated in me playing a war game with the John Quincy Adams Society, one of one of my great allies throughout this, and an integral part of this realism and restraint movement. And I played a war game on the great power future after Ukraine for eight hours. Guys, it was fantastic to get to play with you. And that was one of the best games I ever had. And, you know, I spoke, I got to speak eight hours with them without notes. And that's always like doing freeform jazz. It's a wonderful thing when it works. And boy, did it work. It was great to see so many bright young Republicans and realists and restrainers play so well. And it was great to end the week with that. But if I learned anything from these 16 meetings in the war game, beyond the fact that we're finally in the ascendant, it's that I want to be fundamentally involved in making this new alliance work and being there for them. And so to that extent, I am here announcing, and we will talk more about it this week, I'm going to write a book um, with the funding coming from the Stand Together grouping, the Stand Together Alliance, where I'm going to write a book with their generous funding over the next year to really lay out what it is to be Ameri an American realist. And the book is called The Last Best Chance, A History of American Realism. And what I'm going to do, and we'll talk through the book as we go, what I'm going to do is in the next 15 months or so, write a book that can be the guiding force, the, the how-to pamphlet, the Federalist Papers of its time for how this new alliance can work, for what we believe based on our own unique American history. And I'm honored to have been supported by Stand Together to do something and to do this with them and to fuse together the Jeffersonian and Jacksonian wings of the party around American realism by looking at what it is. And what I intend to do is talk about this, this grand, ambitious vision to make realism and realism and restraint the dominant force in the Republican Party by uniting Jeffersonians and Jacksonians. I'm then going to have 10 principles. Okay, that's great, John. But if you're an American realist, what is it that we believe? And take these 10 precepts and ground them in American history. So for every precept, there'll be a story, a vignette in history about what's going on, about why we are what we are and what we believe based on our own organic historical experience. And then write a conclusion saying, okay, if you believe these are the precepts that unite us around American realism, if you're an American realist, if you believe in realism and restraint, how would you deal with the world as we find it today? Taking these principles and then applying them to the world today. And then you've written the founding document 
of this new alliance. And that's what I intend to do, right? The founding document of this new alliance with the great support of the Stand Together Alliance and all these other groups, and then go out into the country and sell the book and talk about what it is we in America should have as a foreign policy going forward. I'm thrilled at the trust Stand Together has shown in me, and I will return that trust as we try to craft a movement to put together realism and restraint as the dominant force uniting the Jeffersonians and Jacksonians. Because again, if you change the Republican Party, you change America. And if you change America, you change the world. And that's what the last best chance, I hope, does. And this is a wonderfully, unapologetically ambitious project that I'm going to share with you moving forward. But my reflections based on a week in Washington, the most happy political week of my career outside of living there, is that after 16 years, the wheel has turned. And because of the NatCon conference, because of Heritage dramatically making its intentions clear, which is wonderful, and because of the Stand Together alliance that I've set up working with them, I can see moving forward all these groups in a common direction. With this, we can accomplish anything. Really glad to share this with you. I'll talk more about the book probably in the next one this week. We'll get down to work October 1st, and chapter by chapter, I'll talk our way through a book, which is an exciting intellectual project. And again, the last best chance, which is Lincoln's quote, of course, is our last best chance. But seeing what I saw during this week, I think that the future for America through the Republican Party and realism and restraint could not be more rosy. Have a great week. We'll talk more about the book later in the week. And of course, when it comes time, each of you by 10. <laughs> I look forward to sharing the book with you, getting it out there and making it an important document that helps make America and the world a better place. The last best chance, a history of American realism. Off we go. Take care and talk to you soon.